Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat, and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm really excited about today's episode. We have Megan, who goes by the expat PA, and she is joining us overseas. So we had to arrange a time zone time for our podcast recording, and I'm really glad that it worked out today. So welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Can you please introduce yourself to the listeners today and describe where you're located and what type of PA you are and things like that? Uh, Yes. Uh, Hey, everybody. Uh, My name is Megan. Like Kat mentioned, I'm also called the expat PA. I've been a physician associate uh, for 12 years. Um, I'm currently located in the Highlands of Scotland. I've always been a surgical PA. I've worked in gynecology, oncology, and most recently colorectal surgery. And I've also practiced as a PA in the U.S., in England, and Scotland. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So as we mentioned, you go by the expat PA. For those who may not be familiar with the term expat, can you share what that is and also what made you decide that you wanted to practice as a PA abroad? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so an expat is just a shortened name for um, expatriate, which is just someone that is from one country and lives in another. And what made me want to practice abroad was really my desire to travel and to have a new adventure and a new challenge, um, and also to experience life in a new way, both as a person living somewhere new and as a physician associate working in a different or new to me um, healthcare system. Very cool. So can you first share, did you start practicing as a PA in the United States and then went overseas? Or can you describe what happened back then? Yes. Yes. So I uh, I trained um, as a PA in the US at uh, Nova Southeastern in Florida. And then I worked as a PA uh, in the US uh, for six years before um, I first moved abroad, which is now six years ago. Wow. Wow. So you've been working abroad for six years as a PA. That's a long Mm -hmm. time. Very cool. Okay. Very nice. So can you share with the listeners, what was the process like to be able to practice as a PA in another country? Yeah. So it's definitely doable, but it is a bit complex, um, which is why I've recently started um, offering coaching to PAs who were looking to make a similar move abroad. Um, In a nutshell, you need a job, and you need a visa, um, which for me, since I'm not you know, dual, dual citizen or anything like that, meant getting a sponsored visa uh, from my hospital to get permission to work in the UK. And in the UK, uh, currently the American exam is recognized, so I didn't need to take the UK exam, but this varies uh, by country. Uh, for instance, you can work as an American PA in Canada, 
uh, Canada will recognize your American PA degree, but not the U.S. exam. So you take the Canadian um, exam as well. So it varies. Sure. Um, I also had to register as a PA in the U.K., and I also have to keep up with UK CPD as well as US CME. They're not reciprocal. And then there's also the process of setting up your life in another country, um, you know, getting a bank account, finding housing, your spouse finding a job um, in the UK, getting your national insurance number, um, which is like a social security number. And then just all those things that you would do in any move. But when it's abroad, it's just a bit more complicated. And in when you're in a system that you're not familiar with. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure that it's a lot of steps to consider and can take some time and organization to figure out. That's a bummer that the CPD doesn't equate to the CME. And can you share what CPD stands for? Uh, continuing professional development. So okay. the, the same thing. Um, but yes, they just, uh, yeah, maybe one day they'll count for each other. Sure. Yeah. Can you share for the listeners where all you're familiar that PAs can practice overseas, some of the other countries as well? Yeah. So, um, yeah, U.S. trained PAs uh, can uh, potentially work abroad in uh, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, India, South Africa, and and probably more. It's always uh, quite fluid, always changing. Sure. Very cool. Nice. And can you please share with the listeners, if they're considering this, what are some of the pros of practicing as a PA overseas, as well as some of the cons? Yeah, right. Yeah, so some of the pros for me um, working in the UK have been um, the ability to be kind of a trailblazer uh, for the PA profession here, since it's much newer and much less recognized. Um, I'm often the first PA a doctor or nurse or patient um, has ever met, um, and cool. I'm also for the British PA students graduate, um, excuse me, um, currently studying in the UK, I'm also the first kind of practicing PA they've ever met. Um, and while that can be, you know, a bit intimidating at first, it's, it's been so rewarding to help kind of grow awareness of the profession um, in the UK and kind of being an ambassador uh, to what PAs are and what we can do. Another pro um, I had um, working in the UK is uh, working within the NHS, which is the National Health Service the um, kind of nationalized healthcare system of the UK, which is free at the point of care for everyone in the UK. And that's just been a really great thing. Um, as you probably know, Kat, um, you know, medical bills are the most common reason um, Americans go bankrupt. Sure. And to see patients and know that they'll never get a single bill for anything that's happened to them in the hospital. And to know that if, you know, heaven forbid, like you yourself become ill and need care, that it'd be the same for you. has been a really liberating feeling and kind of like a weight that didn't realize you're carrying around till that was no longer an issue. Sure. Um, which has been really great. Uh, for cons, I would say working in a new country and in a different healthcare system, it takes getting used to. I feel kind of as, you know, experienced PAs where used to know what's, you know, used to knowing what's going on, being good at what we do. And so being kind of thrust in a whole new situation, both personally and professionally, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. Uh, but what I found is just to have to give yourself permission to be a beginner, which is the advice I give to new graduate PAs and just allow yourself to be open to new experiences and new way of doing things. And uh, it can be really amazing. Awesome. That's wonderful. It sounds like you have a very great perspective and view of NHS 
Can you share some of the downsides? Can there be a, quite a bit of a wait to get in to see providers too? Do lots of people also carry personal or private health care insurance for some of that? Or do most people just only have the insurance through the government? Yes. Yeah. I um, I think there, there are certainly challenges in the NHS. But I think growing up in the U.S., uh, there are some, you know, kind of mis, uh, some uh, misconceptions uh, about nationalized health care. And I, I was fortunate growing up that my, my grandparents were Canadian. So I was, um, had some experience with the Canadian system, which, which is nationalized. Sure. And so when I'd hear people say, oh, like, you have to wait for years to get things. And, and the government tells you what you can and can't have. And I thought, oh, well, you know, my grandparents and aunt and uncle in the Canada have really great experiences with the healthcare system. Sure. Um, so there are challenges that I would say the national health system um, in the UK is like a national treasure. Everyone loves it. Even it's not even like a liberal conservative kind of thing. Like even conservative politicians love the NHS. Um, there is a conservative government, um, uh, in, you know, in, in power in the UK, and you know, all through COVID, the kind of slogan was protect the NHS. Um, so like do these things so that we don't overwhelm the NHS because sure. everyone views it as quite a special thing and like a precious resource that we have. That's awesome. There are certainly weights for routine procedures, which have increased during COVID. Um, but the wait times for non-routine things, um, I found can be even quicker than in the U.S. Um, okay. For instance, uh, cancer care. Um, I worked. Yeah. Um, I worked in uh, cancer care in Florida, and there's no target to meet. You just, you know, if you get a symptom that's suspicious for cancer, you see the doctor when you can. You have testing when it's available. You see the doctor when they're back. Then you get sent to someone else and have treatment. Um, but there's no time frame that that has to meet. Whereas one of the benefits um, of the NHS is because it's nationalized, there are nationalized targets. Uh, so say if, you know, you're a woman that's gone through menopause and then you develop vaginal bleeding, um, you see your GP and you have... Um, you have to be seen by a specialist at the hospital within two weeks. You have to be diagnosed by 31 days. You have to uh, get your a definitive surgery for your cancer diagnosis within 62 days. Wow. Um, so there are some real advantages as well yeah. of of it being kind of uh, nationalized and having some kind of s standardization um, of care um, across the country. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing all that extra information and details. I think that's very interesting because, you know, we do have our views and perspectives, like you said, being American, right? But it's really good to hear someone else's views who has practice in the healthcare overseas. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it, Megan. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. And and something I've noticed too, or one of the, I'm a, uh, a pro big proponent of, you know, kind of nationalized healthcare and, and Medicare for all. Which I, I hope you don't get hate for now on your podcast, Kat. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, one of the arguments I hear about it is, oh, like we can't have socialized medicine because the government will just tell you what you can and can't have, and oh, you get to live and you you die, and um, which 
is not true. And also, um, I think people like making those arguments in the U.S. Uh, forget that health insurance companies don't do a dissimilar thing of, you know, approving and disapproving care, sure. whether or not it's the best practice um, or not. Uh, so, and that say, instead of it being on, you know, kind of national guidelines approved by a scientific committee, it's just a specific company that decides what you get and you don't get. Um, so I think there, you know, are some, you know, preconceived, uh, uh, preconceived notions um, about uh, socialized healthcare. Uh, I think one telling thing is when I hear arguments you know, like against um, nationalized healthcare, they're usually by people that don't have extensive experience um, with the national healthcare system. And yeah, I've been around six years. I can't recall a single time I've heard a complaint against national healthcare from someone who's had experience in a national healthcare system. Sure, that makes um, sense. Because it has a lot of uh, a lot of real advantages, and the U.S. is the only um, industrialized nation that doesn't have any form of nationalized healthcare. Okay, interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective, Megan. I really appreciate it. I think that it is very true what you said about how insurance companies, even if they aren't, you know, a national healthcare organization, they definitely do dictate a lot of what we can do or cannot do as providers. So, you know, so often we want to pick different medications for our patients and they're like, no, you first have to try this other med and the patient yeah. has to fail it first. And then maybe we'll let a prior auth go through. Yeah, because you didn't get prior authorization beforehand. So even though we would have covered it, we won't. Yes. And and that has been a kind of surprising benefit of working in the UK of realizing, oh, there's just no insurance that just doesn't exist of, oh, they, you know, they have like, it's just, you know, standardized, you know, practice of care. And if, if it's best evidence-based medicine, that's what the patient gets. Like no matter, no matter the cost of like, oh, well, that's, that's a nice guidance. That's best, you know, that, that's best practice medicine. That's what they get. And um, I'm like, oh, like, you don't have to ask anybody, you don't have to do you just kind of get to treat the patient. And that was a an unexpected uh, pro of, of working in a national health system. Certainly very cool. So if there are some PA listeners out there, and they are really thinking that it sounds like a really fun adventure, cool idea to work as a PA overseas, what are some types of questions that they should be asking themselves? If practicing in another country may be a good fit for them? Yeah, yeah, thanks. That's a great question, Kat. Um, I think uh, some of the questions uh, that a PA uh, should ask themselves if they're thinking about working abroad might be, uh, am I ready for you know a new adventure and a new challenge? Uh, could I let myself be uncomfortable um, while I'm learning new things and navigating life uh, in a new culture, both uh, both in my work life and in my personal life? Um, and especially for, uh, you know, your uh, list, uh, podcast listeners, um, are my finances in such a way where I could afford to make less money in order to have a new experience? Because sure. um, you likely won't make what you're making in the U.S. anywhere outside the U.S. Um, it's just how it is, unfortunately. 
Um, and in, in the UK, it's a national healthcare system. We're all government employees. Um, and while there's tons of benefits to working uh, in the NHS and in the UK, uh, for instance, like there's a 14% match into your like retirement pension, which is kind of unheard of in the US. Nice. And, you know, six months full pay sick leave and a year paid maternity leave. Wow. Um, the kind of salary you earn in the US just isn't one of them. Sure. Um, and that's why like I'm um, uh, social media, you know, I talk about the importance of like paying off your student loans and getting into a good place financially so that you have the freedom to make those kinds of decisions if you want. Uh, for your life based on things other than salary, whether that's working abroad or taking time off work or taking time, you know, to be a parent or to travel or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever makes your heart sing. Yeah, exactly. So Megan, we found each other on social media on Instagram. And as you know, this is a financial independence podcast. When did you first learn about financial independence? And why do you think that it's really important that PAs consider pursuing financial independence and becoming financially literate as well? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, I, for myself, I started learning about uh, financial independence soon after I graduated PA school. I think for, uh, certainly for me, and I think for a lot of people going into medical professions, we're kind of taught, oh, just get through it pay all this money for education, do all the schooling. And then when you graduate, you'll be set. You don't have to worry about anything. Right. And um, I found out um, when I graduated, like a lot of people, I let my lifestyle creep up to match my classmates just because that's what everyone else is doing. And I found that while I was making more money, um, it was going, I don't know where, because I wasn't budgeting or tracking tracking it. Um, and I had these big loan payments and I found out that I wasn't actually financially secure at all. And I think there's also this, you know, thinking a bit in the U.S. of, oh, that's okay, just work more, earn more, have nicer things, work more to pay for them, and just keep going. Um, and I realized, hey, like that's that's just not what I want in my life. Um, you know, I want to work because I want to, not because if I don't pick up extra shifts, I can't pay my bills. Yeah. And um, and I was never really taught about, you know, investing or developing, you know, different income streams or really like making my money work for me or even having a sustainable lifestyle financially. So I kind of slowly taught myself um, and it was difficult. And that's why I'm so grateful for resources uh, like your podcast uh, to help teach uh, PAs uh, so they don't have to figure it out all um, figure it out all on their own like I did and I'm, I'm guessing you probably did as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sometimes great things come from a lot of trial and error and pain that we have been yes. through, right? I'm sure <laughs> with your with your services that we're going to talk about in a moment here. But yes, th- thank you for those kind words. I do hope that people learn a lot from the podcast so that they don't make a lot of mistakes that I made as an UPA. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So Megan, do you mind sharing what types of services you offer to help other PAs out? Uh, Yes, thank you. Um, So when I was uh, first looking into developing a little side business, I had read that, you know, to think about uh, what you do well, what's something you're confident in doing, um, and just go from there. And for uh, for me, that's writing. It's something I like to do. It's something I'm good at. And it's something I've also done professionally as well as just for fun. Um, I used to contribute to the uh, PA and NP uh, blog for New England Journal of Medicine. Cool. And um, so I developed a personal statement editing service uh, to help pre pre PA students. And I've been getting some great feedback, and it's been so rewarding um, helping students kind of on their journey to become PAs. 
Um, I also offer a mock interview practice and um, interview feedback for PA student applications and new graduate PAs. And as I mentioned uh, briefly earlier, I also offer uh, one-on-one coaching to PAs who are uh, looking to move abroad or just want to talk to someone in more detail and find out um, if it's right for them. Very nice. Very nice. If some of the listeners are interested in those services, how could they connect with you about where to find you for those? Yeah, great. So you can find me um, on Instagram at expatpa. Uh, My services are all listed on the link in my bio. Um, I also share a lot of advice for pre-PA and PA students about writing personal statements. And I also share information about working as a PA and working as a PA abroad in a new healthcare system and all that. So um, yeah, so please check me out. And you can also find my services on Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R. And my username is expat underscore PA. And I'm offering a 10% discount um, on any service to uh, any of the PA FIWay uh, listeners. I'll pass on a a promo code uh, to Kat, um, or you could also message me on Instagram or Fiverr and mention that you um, heard about me on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. I really appreciate that you have these services out there. I think that there are many PAs or pre-PAs out there that are really interested in connecting with you for your services and especially considering whether practicing abroad as a PA may work well for them. So thank you for sharing all the information today. And thanks for coming on the podcast. It was a lot of fun, Megan. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on. But more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.